If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read briefly from uh, that passage. It's a famous passage uh, for many. It's a passage that even though people aren't maybe very religious, uh, they might know every word of it, or at least some version of it. I remember when I was a chaplain for the high school football team in the city in which I grew up, this was the thing that they said every time before um, they went out onto the football field. So they would be like yelling at each other, slapping each other, cursing and swearing, and then all of a sudden by taking the our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It was just like this chant, and so you did it, you, and then you ran out. And so it just shows that this, this is imprinted in many cultures upon society and that these words are not very foreign. What I want to do is I want to dive in, and I want us to hear from God's word, and then our goal is to understand and apply it uh, as we go. So uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13 is what I'm going to read. The Word of God says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you? who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, and for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? This is a very famous um, prayer, and it's also a prayer that is included in another passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. Now Luke records a few words differently in part for emphasis, but it doesn't mean what Matthew has recorded in Matthew chapter 6 is um, a different time of praying. Sometimes he teaches it in different locations, but it's the same content. So um, there'll be certain words that we will emphasize that might be found in Matthew, not found in Luke, but it's all this prayer that Jesus is teaching his people to pray. 
Here's one thing to begin with. One is this. The temptation, whenever Jesus says pray like this, is that we think more about form than we do about content. We think more about, well, this is exactly how you have to say certain things in order to be spiritual, in order to get it right. In order to talk to God, it has to go in this order, in this certain way, with these exact words, or I have not been a faithful prayer. I think what we need to understand um, for several reasons is that the emphasis here by Jesus is on the content and on communion. It's on a relationship with God more than it is on say this word after this word. What's interesting is nowhere after this place do you see his disciples praying this exact prayer, and yet you see them praying all the time. When Paul is praying in his letters, you don't ever see him recounting these exact words, but the spirit of these words. You don't ever read that it says, and as they were praying this exact Lord's prayer, then something happened. But what you do get is a people who saw their Savior constantly on his knees, pleading and praying, and they said this, teach us how to do that. Do you get the context? So they have just experienced a ton of suffering. They've seen people healed. They've just gone out on a missionary journey. They've seen some people reject them. They've seen some people accept this good news that Jesus is going to be the Savior of the world. They've experienced all these things, but throughout the interweaving of all of this, what they say is, Jesus, I want you to teach me how to do that. I want you to teach me what it looks like to talk to God as Father. And this is where I think we must begin. We begin with these very first words in this prayer when he says, and when you pray, say this, Father, Father. Matthew's version says, our Father, which is this sense that we should never think of ourselves if we are Christians in isolation from other Christians. God is not just God of one individual, God is God of all those who trust in him. But what Luke wants to emphasize is that we must come as children. Father implies child. And this is what he is asking us to do. He's asking us to come as children. And why is that? Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, the linchpin for being accepted into my family is for you to assume the posture of a child. Faith, confidence. When a child is young, there is this sense of trust in their parent or parents. Sadly, that gets eroded over time when the parent constantly serves themselves rather than the child or when the child constantly is trusting and that parent might let them down, we've had moments of moments of moments over our long lives, some of us, of just being shown what a father really isn't. 
or what a parent really isn't. And so we don't have that kind of confidence, that kind of excitement, that kind of just unfiltered, just running to anybody because we don't trust anyone. But that's not the picture of this kind of child. This child is the child who hasn't been let down. It's the child who has this faith to come into the presence of the Father and expects the Father to listen, expects the Father to do something, expects that the Father is for this child. It's an excitement. And so he says, you start your prayer with God as Father. And this is what it means to to get into God's family is to be like a child, to be humble, to be needy, and to declare that you can't provide what your father can. In Luke chapter 10, just a few verses before we land right here, Jesus says this. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. God's kingdom is upside down. He delights in the weak, in the desperate, in the weary. He delights in the children. And he calls his adult followers children right here in this passage. And if that bothers you, if that offends you, if no, your security is wrapped up in what you can do and who you're better than, He's just calling you to get low. He's asking that you might open your heart to drain yourself of you and to be a child. What does a child do? Paul Miller in his book, The Praying Life, such an encouragement to my soul. I highly recommend it. He just begins to rehearse the different things that are characteristics of children. One is that the mind wonders. The mind goes everywhere. And then when the child comes, they rarely say exactly what they mean. Or they don't say the words just right. I remember my oldest son now, who's 15, when he was learning how to talk, we tried to get him to say thank you. And the words that came out of his mouth were duckadoo. That's all he had. That's all the goods he had. It was like duckadoo. And I was thinking like, you know, what do you think my disposition as a parent was when he said duckadoo? Did I say, would you get your act together? It's T-H. Thank you. It's not duckadoo. It's thank you. And would you please say it at the right time and not just at random times? It's duckadoo, please. No. My wife and I celebrated the fact that he was speaking just craziness, and he said it sometimes at the right time. We were thankful. We were happy. There's one time when he was talking about a mosquito and how he hated mosquitoes, and he called them Mr. Keto. <laughs> Don't want Mr. Keto to get me. You know, he's just like, I love this. As a parent, it does your heart joy. What about when you and all of your wreck, you don't say what you mean? You don't mean what you say. And you draw near to the heart of God. Does he get angry or frustrated at you because you're stumbling all over your words? Does he get angry and frustrated at you because when you stop to pray, you realize how unspiritual you really are? Paul Miller says, the more we try to be spiritual, the more we realize how unspiritual we really are. 
And you've been there. You've tried to stop and pray. Your mind has gone 30,000 different directions, and so you felt like, oh, this is a waste of time. Let me do something that's really important and productive. And so you stop praying, thinking that the only way that God will accept you or the only reason you should ever talk to him is because you have your act together. When he says no, it's the opposite. Jesus says, thank you, Father, that you have revealed these things to children and hidden them from the wise and the understanding, those who are confident in themselves rather than placing their confidence in their Father. The Bible doesn't say, come put together. The Bible says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. What is a weary person? It's someone who is overwhelmed by life circumstances, someone who feels beaten up over and over again by some emotional state or by something outside of them or by their limits or their helplessness, by suffering that they've experienced or suffering around them. They are weary. They are burdened. They feel like a hand is on their back and nobody's letting them up. They just feel like they need air. That's the person that Jesus says, come to me. Be the real you. Stop trying to be the religious you. You're bad at that, and so am I. And you can't sustain it. You can't sustain the good face. You can't sustain the putting it together. It exhausts you. And so you begin to take it out on somebody else. But God says, come as a child. And so many times we will not pray because we feel like we have to have it together. And he says, no, come when you are weary. Come when you don't have it together. Come when your heart and mind are overly absorbed with yourself. Come to me. And the picture is of God as Father. Come to me as a father. Some reason, sometimes we don't come to him not just because about us and we feel like that we're a wreck but because we don't trust what it means for him to be father, that he cares, that he knows, that he loves, that he wants every part of you. A perfect father should represent safety or listening, care and comfort, fine with you bringing whatever you want to bring. And some of us have had that picture eroded because of small failures or large failures from parents. Don't treat God as an angry employer. When you do that, you become a lazy, unsatisfied employee. Just doing the minimum to get by in hopes that the employer will leave you alone or will give you your paycheck and you just move on. The word father is not about an assignment it's about a relationship. It's not about checking off a box and saying, oh, are you spiritual? You should pray. Okay, I stopped. I said my, oh, God, bless the meal, thanks. <clears throat> or, God, help me find a parking space. Or, you know, God, would you please help me get a paycheck or whatever. But you stop. Those things are not necessarily wrong to pray for, as we'll get to. But sometimes you just stop praying right there because you've checked the box. It's an assignment to you. Father means it's a relationship. It's a relationship. 
And if you wanted to be in a relationship with me and I popped in for 45 seconds and I said, hey, it was good to be with you and I bolted out, you would be like, what in the world was that? I said, I did what I was supposed to do. I spent time with you. Bye. Is that a relationship or is that an assignment? Father assumes a relationship from a God who loves you and a God who is able because in the book of Matthew it says our Father who is in heaven who is in heaven what does this mean it means that this father image is one of intimacy and closeness but you need to understand he's greater than you are he is the one in heaven he is transcendent that means he is over you he is the creator of all things he's the one who speaks and things exist he's the one who knows Right now, the thoughts that have run through your mind for the last 10 minutes, for the last 10 years, all of your life, and he not only knows every thought of every person in this room, he knows your motives, and he knows your past, he knows your future, and he knows it in every single one of the seven plus billion people on the planet. Everyone made in his image for his glory, and he has known every single person for all of time. This is the Father who is in heaven. And he's saying, I want a relationship with you because you're special to me. So there's nothing that you're going to bring to him that surprises him, and there's nothing you're going to bring to him that's too much for him. He is our Father who is in heaven. But he says right here in the book of Luke, Father, hallowed be your name. It begins with the summary of God's character. What is someone's name? If someone makes a name for themselves, they are saying that there is a sense of it's all that they are is summarized when you say their name. Like if you say a certain person's name, Bill Gates, what do you think of? You think of Microsoft, and you think of money, and you think of wealth, you might think of their charities, you begin to import the things that they do and who they are just by a name. God is Father, and His name is to be hallowed. That means all that He does and who He is, His complete essence, that He is fully just and fully merciful and always gracious and always loving, and He's not part of anything. He's never lacking he cares. He is greater than any greatness we could ever imagine. He, died, he sent his son to die for sinners so that they might be rescued and saved and shame might be taken away. He is love. This is our God. And it says, may your name be hallowed. May it be set apart. May it be special to me and may I surrender all of me to all of you. Correct. There's reality that I refuse to believe or acknowledge many times in the mornings, and it's this, that no matter how sanctified I am, apart from God's mercy, Sean Cordell is bent towards me. I'm bent towards me. My arrow is aimed in the wrong direction. My back is is to my enemy. 
My gaze is inward or outward towards all of my to-dos and not upward towards my Father. Before my heat, my feet hit the floor, there is a force stronger than gravity that is pulling my heart towards selfishness and forgetfulness and worry and anger and greed and complaining or a combination of all of them at some point. And Jesus says, when you begin your prayer, begin with a name other than yourself because you need a heart bent towards me. Father, begin with your need for the Father to be your answer. Oh God, it can be this simple. Oh God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm sleepy. I don't want to do anything meaningful. Father, please bend my heart towards you today. Bend my heart towards you today. The prayer begins with the word Father because he wants us coming as a child. Messy as we are, self-absorbed as we are, but come to him. And the prayer is, your kingdom come. And Matthew adds on, your will be done. It is words of surrender. When you talk about a king over a kingdom, it means all the subjects do what the law requires, what the king wants. That's how the prayer begins when the feet hit the floor and the gravity is pulling towards Sean. Do everything for Sean. The bent is, oh, Father, turn me towards you. You are my king. I want to follow you in whatever you say. I want everything to be all in for you. Take me as I am. I'm a wreck. If you wait to be polished, you will never pray. Or you will pray as an assignment. Rather than in a relationship with a loving father. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Father, take my will and make it your will. Unravel my ambition and my agenda. Drain it of myself and fill it up with these words. Your kingdom come. You do what is best for your name. For your name to be most famous and not mine if I have a small part if I have a little larger part it doesn't matter I want your name to be set apart by my life your kingdom come take all of me some of us struggle so much thinking that the greatest decision that we have to make or you know, like, what's our job, and uh, who are we going to marry, or where are we going to live? And Paul Miller says this. I found such great help with this quote. He says this. The great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. It is trying to discern and then disown my own will. Once I see that, then prayer flows. I have to be praying because I'm no longer in charge. Either I see all of life as a gift or I demand that life have to look, have a certain look to it, my look. The hardest thing in prayer 
is, oh God, show me where my ambition and my will has taken me sideways and make my will your will. That's how the prayer begins. Father, make your name hallowed. I'm as weak as a child. I'm coming weary and I want your kingdom to rule. What does that mean? I don't talk like that. Your kingdom, what does that mean? The, the first place that the kingdom will break in is in the human heart. The greatest mission field of God is right here. The heart of humanity. But also when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Matthew's version. There's this plea that our values become his values. Our loves become his loves. And that we use our lives to advance the light of the gospel into areas of darkness. Where we want injustice to become justice. Where we want areas where there is no mercy to become areas of mercy. And sadly this week, this weekend in Charlottesville, there was some horrible tragedies that were going on. The first tragedy was by a movement called the Alt-Right, which is a white supremacist group that promotes neo-Nazism, etc., this sense of holding up that one race is superior to other races, and it must be decried as against the heart of God and as sinful and as heartbreaking that anyone would think that they are superior to anyone else. And then the same heartbreak has to be for anyone who thinks a solution is to be violent. For violence never solves issues of justice. Justice begins to be solved when the people of God try to be, speak with the voice of God. And they use their hands and feet to be the hands of God in issues of justice and mercy. And we must understand as the church that we must not only rightly condemn bad actions, but we also must pursue what is righteous and pure and holy and good. That's why our church is pursuing with intentionality of being a multi-ethnic, multi-economic congregation. What does that mean? It means that we want all people to know that their lives are important. We want all people to feel like someone is listening to their story and that they care. That all people get a chance to talk and to share the hard, the good, the hated parts of their journey and people will listen and empathize. Proximity breeds empathy. Brian Loretz says, but distance breeds suspicion. When you don't know people, you think the worst of them. That's human nature. It's our cynicism of our day. But when you hear a story, all of a sudden, you begin to care. Oh, that our church would be a place where we pray together, and where people from multiple backgrounds aren't just getting along, but they're calling each other family. They're caring for one another's needs. They're valuing each other. They are led by one another. They are marrying each other. They are serving together. They are dreaming together about what it looks like to invade areas of injustice with their lives. Working together, 
praying this prayer together, Father, make your kingdom come through us. May your kingdom come and your will be done here in Raleigh as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come and your will be done in Charlottesville as it is in heaven, in Chicago as it is in heaven, in Syria and in southern Sudan as it is in heaven. Father, break through this world of darkness and shine your bright light. I met with a guy over a, a, something called the Crescent Project this week, a, a friend of ours who'd been a part of the church. His name's Thomas Messick. He shared a stat that I thought was very interesting. Do you know that in the last 20 years, there have been more of those who claim Islam converted to Christianity, more people in the last 20 years than there have been in the last 1,400 combined. There's this unprecedented movement in the midst of what the media paints as just bleak, bleak darkness and hatred. There's this movement of God in Islamic areas where people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done. And that he would begin to use us, small though our lives are. And now I want us to pray. I want us to begin by first praying silently in our own seats. And applying this first and yet largest section of the sermon and that is this. Can you pray, God, Father, your will be done in my life. I want your name to be hallowed, and I want you to have every part of me. And so there'll be a slide up on the screen that will just help walk you through some areas that you might want to pray. Personal surrender. Some of you may have never done this before, and I encourage you to come as a child to God as Father, and you surrender your life. You surrender who you are. He is calling out for you to declare your need for the forgiveness of sins and your need for Him to change you from the inside out, to save you for the first time. Some of you, you are children, but you haven't been acting like children. You've been trying to fix yourself up and not running to the Father. You've been trying to hold back parts of your life. Right now, I pray that you would spend this time praying these areas, asking God to penetrate your heart. And then what will happen is we'll have a couple of people that will pray for God's kingdom to come and advance through us forward as long as he gives us breath here. So let's just spend some time in prayer together.
Father, thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that you care for us individually. Thank you that your will can be can be done because of what Jesus has done. He's our righteousness. We depend on him. Thank you that we don't earn your acceptance. I thank you that we rest in it. You have done it. Now we just walk in it. And I thank you that it's not just us. It's not just us as individuals. surrender to you from the depths of our heart. May we wholeheartedly follow you. May we be sensitive to your spirit, that spirit that brought us to life in Christ Jesus. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to see what you would have us do. Help us to see who we are. I thank you that we are saved sinners yet saved by grace we are your children and with children together may we love one another as you have commanded in in deeper and deeper ways and be a witness for your kingdom may your kingdom reign in our hearts may your kingdom reign in this place may that your kingdom reign in this people and may your kingdom reign in every sphere of our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our places of leisure, <laughs> in every aspect of our lives. May we individually and together bring you glory. May we be spent for your glory and may we be refreshed by your glory. Show us yourself, and may we walk in your ways, in Jesus' name.
are rebelling and hating you. Your response to our violence against you, God, is what the cross. So, Lord, let your kingdom reign in our hearts that we can love our enemies, God, that we can do good, that we can bless and not curse, God, that we can proclaim your gospel, Lord, even to those, Lord, who for a variety of reasons consider themselves our enemies. God, let your kingdom come in our homes, Lord, that the words spoken would be words that edify and do not tear down. God, let your kingdom come in our work environments. I ask you to just give a spirit of boldness to your people, that they wouldn't jerk back against proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Lord, let your kingdom come even in our systems of government, Lord. Shine your light on systemic oppression, God, and let righteousness reign in our nation. Lord, let your kingdom come, Lord, in the White House and in the Senate and in the House and in the mayoral offices, God. Father, bring conviction, bring repentance, God, that your will would be done. And God, I thank you that even as we pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done, that we're reminded that your will is being done. You are sovereign. Let's continue to be in a spirit of prayer, but let's sing together. Let's stand.
be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are As we stop and pray, God begins to change us. That's the point of prayer. Prayer begins to change the prayer, which is why God doesn't want us fixed up, because he knows we can't fix ourselves up. He wants us to come to him so that he might change us. But he wants us to come to him for everything. So the prayer that Luke lays out is, Father, 
who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And so, what does it mean for us to ask for the daily bread? Well, it's an interesting phrase there because it actually says, our daily bread, give us according to tomorrow. It is, give us the bread that we need for tomorrow. Why does it say it that way? It's because there's this insinuation that the Father loves to not only give day after day, but to give almost in advance. He has tomorrow figured out. It is speaking to the abundance of the Father. And so you call out to Him for today's bread, and you call out to Him every day, but you call out to Him that He would continue to provide for you. This is the prayer of the desperate, of the child. Father, please, give us, give us what we need. And this is what many times our prayers are consisting of, right? Just, Father, please come through. Father, I feel like this, my marriage is hopeless. I feel like my kids are never going to uh, obey. I feel like that we're never going to have enough money. We're never going to get ahead. I feel like that I'll never have a sense of significance or hope or value. I just... We just don't know how to talk, and so we just throw things at random at our God, and He loves that. But there are some of us who don't pray because we don't think God really cares about some of the small things. So, Paul Miller speaks in his book about the game we play with things that our hearts want. It might go something like this. I really want a promotion and a raise. But man, just that coming out of my mouth sounds really kind of, God really wouldn't want to do anything with that. So I don't go to him in prayer. Instead, I work overtime. I work more than I should in order to secure the promotion and the raise myself. I'm embarrassed to pray about it. But I'm fine by working at it with all of my might to make it happen. What about that house or car? I really would like this house. I really would like this car. That coming out of your mouth is like, ooh, that feels maybe a little icky. I don't even want to talk to God about that. But still, you go talk to a realtor. You find a look on Zillow. Talk to all your friends. But you can't talk to God? I want my kid to be the best in school or to be the best in this sport. Just that coming out the mouth makes you feel kind of icky. But instead, you rearrange your whole life to make sure that that happens. You sacrifice some of the major priorities that God has made crystal clear, time with him and time with his people, in order to make sure that your kid can get ahead. Sometimes afraid to pray, but not afraid to work. That relationship that's really difficult. You don't want to say out loud the horrible things you think about that person. So you don't pray. But instead, you seethe in bitterness. I seethe in bitterness. We begin to scheme in our minds about 
how we hope they get what's coming to them. All the while, God just says, no. Why don't you ask for daily bread? Why don't you ask for everything and put nothing off the table? Why would he say that? Because prayer is about you being conformed to the Father. It is about your will being conformed to him. It is about you beginning to say, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. He begins to change your heart. And that's why these other examples are, are here in this passage. It's this weird story about a friend who's asleep and all of his kids are asleep. And a guy comes late at night and it's like he's knocking on the door for some food. And he's like, no, go find it somewhere else. I'm sleepy. And he says, he's not going to come to the door because he's a friend. He's going to come to the door because the person's annoying. It just won't stop. There's this shameless sense of persistence like I'm not going to stop knocking until I hear something. And that's supposed to encourage us somehow? Yes. The word there is impudence. I never use that word. It's the only time that it appears in the New Testament. But it it's a little confusing as to what it means. It either means just shameless pursuit. I'm just going to keep going and I'm unashamed because I know you have what I need. Or it is persistence. I'm not going to give up because I know you're the only one that can provide. And I think it's both. God wants his people to be shameless in their desperate calling out for him. And to be persistent because the more time you spend with him, the more he begins to change you. So that as you ask for whatever, he begins to do a work in your heart. That's why he goes on to say in verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. He's like, persist. Ask for whatever. Don't wait until you make it holy and sanctified. Just ask. And God will work in the heart to say, you don't need that. That's not really what you need right now. Or he begins to open doors for the very thing that you were asking for. And you see him provide in amazing ways. And then who gets the glory? He does. Because you've asked for something small that you normally wouldn't ask for. And you saw him provide it more than your own brawn and might. Jesus says, ask, say, give us this day our daily bread. He wants us to remember the nature of the father. That's verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? Or if he asks for eggs, will give him a scorpion? And he says, if you then... Know the difference between a fish and a snake. And you can be kind enough to give a fish when somebody asks it rather than something that could bite and kill you. If you can do that and you're evil, that's what the verse says, how much more will our heavenly Father who has no evil at all give you, Matthew says in this very passage in Matthew chapter 7, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things? give you good gifts, you can trust him. 
I promise you this, child of God, if you are a follower and a child of God, you have never been given a stone when you've asked for bread. You have never been given a snake when you've asked for fish, even though it felt like when you prayed for patience, things got really hard. When you prayed for healing, and it seemed like things got worse, you're tempted to say, that was a serpent, that was not a fish. But Luke clarifies what it means for our God to give good gifts. It is the very last line. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is what lets us know that the point of prayer is change. The change of the human heart. He will give you more and more of himself. A greater experience of himself so that you know how to process everything around you. You know how to process the suffering that's coming at you. And you can still see that he's good and he hasn't left you. You know how to begin to process that he's got good purposes and that he hasn't left you. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be more like him and to find him as loving and kind and gracious. And so the call here is give us our daily bread. God wants you to ask him and to ask him for everything, but to ask him with a heart of surrender. And so what we want to do is we want to spend some time asking. I'm going to have some people come up who um, might be willing to pray for different people and different needs. And there's going to be a slide on the screen that will kind of help guide us through some things to pray for. But James says this in James chapter 5, confess to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is both physical and spiritual healing that is needed in this room. And we believe that God has and will break his kingdom into the here and now and change both the heart. Sometimes he changes the body. Sometimes he changes the depressed one. But I promise you this. You have not because you ask not, and I promise you, he will not give you a serpent when you ask for fish. He will give you more of himself, and that's what you need. So we'll have people who are here that if you want to just bring anything, help in a marriage, help in a job, help with some type of struggle emotionally, some type of physical struggle, some type of sin you've just been battling and you want somebody to battle alongside with you in prayer right now. Whatever it is, let's just take some time and we're going to pray. As the music team comes up, anybody who's willing to pray for others, if you just come up and uh, face the crew, we're just going to take some time in prayer right now. And if you want someone to pray for you, you can come up and we will spend some time just praying over you. Please, don't forget everything that's been said. You don't have to fix yourself up to be prayed over. And you don't have to know exactly what you're going to say. Just come. And we'll be happy to pray for you and to care for you. And to hold everything that you share with us in confidentiality. But we want to pray.
and ask God for daily bread. So let's pray together in this time.
Father, please. We are desperate. We are messy. We don't have things together. But you do. And you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to be what we couldn't be, perfect. To die for our sins so that might be forgiven and made new so that every day could have a do-over where it is needed because you specialize in new beginnings. Father, I pray for those who have been pleading for physical needs or for physical healing. And God, I ask that you would hear these prayers. Pray that you would grant them your Holy Spirit. You would change them from the inside out. But we do pray that you would hear their prayers. You would provide for their needs. You would heal bodies. You would strengthen limbs. You would remove the depression from people's psyche and depths of their soul. And that, Father, there would be hearts of surrender that ring out all over this room. Father, move, I pray. Have your way with us. And as we experience also not just some physical answers, but we plead for spiritual answers. We plead for you to work a heart of forgiveness in us and a remembrance of how much we don't deserve your forgiveness and how much you have forgiven us. Father, please forgive us and make us forgiving people. Father, please work in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we conclude this service and lean towards the Lord's Supper, the last part of the Lord's Prayer is this. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It is these three simple things. Father, forgive us. It is an acknowledgement of personal sin, but it is also a crying out for God to help us be forgiving people to everyone who would ask. That's a hard thing. Reconciliation is a hard thing. But there's a sense that we don't overlook injustice and we don't treat painful things with indifference, but we are calling out for God, according to this prayer, that we are ready at the drop of a hat to forgive anyone who has repented. Anyone. No matter what has been done. And then the prayer goes on, lead us not into temptation. Matthew says, deliver us from evil. And so as we go to the Lord's Supper, we want to take this time and we want to make it a time of confession. Father, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Wash us clean. Help us to understand the weight of our own sin. Set us free from something. I'm praying and have been praying that God would bring one area that is debilitating your life. He would bring it to your mind and you would confess it. You would bring no pretense, and you would just ask him to wash you clean. And that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's not for perfect people, but it is for people who say, 
you are my father and I love you. And I need you desperately to change me. If you can't say that, the Bible says you will be eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Please, don't take this meal as just a religious act. Take it as communion with the Father. But if you are his child, imperfect as you are, confess your sin to him. But then this time is not only vertical, but it's horizontal. Oh God, please, lead us not into the temptation of bitterness. Deliver us from the evil of revenge. Lead us not into the temptation of the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or pride in possessions or power or status. But lead us low to your feet and may we confess our hearts to you. But some of you need to be reconciled with some in this room. And so this time is also not only for you to be reconciled to God in one sense, that is... God, I need you to fix me and change me. But also, maybe being humble to go to somebody and say, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I haven't been kind. I haven't thought the best. I've been hopeless about this situation. I need your forgiveness. Whatever it is, we're now going to take the Lord's Supper and use this as the conclusion to our prayer. So when you are ready, you can get up from your seat. If you are a child of God, a believer, and go to one of the two tables in the front, one in the back. Get the bread and the cup, and you can go back to your seat, or you can just pray up here. But let's spend some time calling out to God, reconciling with one another, and then we'll close with a song. So let's take the Lord's Supper together.
let's stand together and sing this. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Enemy, you made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace. Mercy and your kindness know no end. Your blood. of my soul. I want to live for you. we close. Let's just sing that chorus together. missed.